Thank you for listening to Episco Auburn, a podcast for Episcopal student ministries in the Auburn Opelika area. My name is Gail Goldsmith. I'm a priest at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church, serving the college ministry and the parish. This podcast is trying to follow in the tradition of the Apostle Paul's pastoral letters to specific communities, because this is a pandemic adaption, and I miss you. But also, if you're curious about what we do and how we gather, I hope this is useful to you. Here's a little bit about how we look at scripture. We believe it's God-breathed, and one of the prayers in our Book of Common Prayer um, prays that we will read, learn, mark, and inwardly digest scripture, which is churchy for live in this, let it change your life, orient you to God and your neighbor. So here's how we'll continue in Bible study together. This podcast will serve as the introduction and highlighting some themes and uh, what comes to mind for me as I read the passage for this week and help you um, think of entry points for it. Then uh, we'll gather on Zoom. I know, I'm sorry. On Wednesday at 2.30 Central Time to talk about this because the way we discuss scripture has been a strength of this ministry and that we share our questions and insights and hear how each other um, react and find inspiration in the scripture passage of the week. I'll have some questions at the end of this podcast and um, look forward to hearing from you. So why Acts? Uh, Originally, we were going to do uh, the book of Daniel and talk about how the Israelite exile into Babylon changed the way God's people um, prayed and experienced God when they were uh, out of their promised land and how the exile and return informs Jesus's ministry. But wow, the parallels kind of are a lot, and I think it will be more interesting to look at that with a little distance. So, (laughs) Acts of the Apostles. This has been, um, this has been a really useful book for me to read right now. The day-to-day of my job has changed, but the principles and the beliefs of it haven't. So, I thought I would share. Um, I thought I would share this look at the Gospel of Acts with you. This is about what God's people did in uncertain and changing times. How the fragile, freaked out, and fallible people of God prayed and took the gospel into new places. There are magicians, shipwrecks, the most dramatic conversion story, a jailbreak, big speeches, crime, and stories about how when the love of God changes your life. You are moved to share it. Okay, so let's take a close look at some basics about Acts. Scholars think, and tradition generally holds, that it's written by the author of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and some people read them together, just hyphenating it, Luke-Acts. They share it because they share a writing style and are both dedicated to Theophilus. 
sort of the character of Luke that people tend to imagine uh, wrote this is a doctor, an associate of the Apostle Paul, who shows up in other writings, but not in Acts. It's commonly agreed upon that Acts was written, Luke Acts was written by an educated Gentile Christian who has studied Jewish scripture carefully somewhere in 80 to 90 common era. So who is Theophilus? Theophilus might be a convert looking for more instruction in the faith, or a patron, someone who the author hoped might help publish and distribute the work. Or, and this would fit in um, like uh, the, the general ancient literary convention addressed to an imagined abstract uh, concept or pers- person re- representing a concept. So you can translate the Greek as um, loving of God, lover of God, beloved of God. So all of us. So back to Luke Acts. One of the most important themes for this author is that God keeps God's promises, both to specific people, like Mary at the beginning of Luke, and the church, as we'll see in Acts. Another is tracing the movement of the Holy Spirit. In the gospel, Luke writes that Jesus returns from the desert and been tempted by Satan, full of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, continues the story of the Holy Spirit and empowering and guiding the church. All right, so let's look at Acts 1 and 2. Acts 1, where are we in time? This is after Jesus's death and resurrection. After the first Easter, Jesus appears to the disciples again, assuring them that he rose from the dead and encouraging them to continue in mystery, in ministry. Uh, this, um, this very strange incident that we read about is called the Ascension. Um, so Jesus is lifted up into heaven. And here in Acts, we see the apostles experience um, ambiguous grief. Like just minutes before they had been asking him, uh, verse six, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They're looking, they're looking ahead with a specific um, political hope. And Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he is lifted up. And they just um, feel stuck and still and gaze up at the sky until two messengers, two men in white robes, Uh, Stand by them and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This is Jesus who has been taken up from you, who will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they return to the upper room. I imagine with a a little bit of um, a little bit of fear, a lot of awe, hope. And certainly ambiguous grief in reaction to um, this change, this loss of the physical presence of Christ as they had always, as they had always understood it and seen it before now. 
this reminded me of a headline that I saw this week in the Harvard Business Review. Um, that discomfort you're feeling is grief. And uh, grief scholar David Kessler writes um, about what individuals can do to manage all this grief, sort of tracking it with like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, stages of grief, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance. And the part that sounds the most like the disciples to me, and I think we're all experiencing this one too, is anticipatory grief, the loss of a broadly, the loss of a broadly imagined future, um, a brokenness in our sense of safety, and the loss of some things that we thought were inevitable and surely going to happen. Uh, he writes. He writes about how we need to let go of what we can't control and how to stock up on compassion and to recognize that everyone will have different levels of fear and grief and it will manifest in different ways. And that it isn't a, um, not to rank them, but to experience where you are, how to feel a sense of acceptance. And for us, how to always be looking for God's presence. I think it's okay to grieve the loss of fun and rituals that you were excited about. Formals, concerts, graduations, goofing off with friends in person. Grief doesn't mean a lack of faith. And I've been surprised to see like that sort of going around that um, grief is a, a lack of trust in God. Um, grief is a reaction to loss or change. And we see this so many times in scripture. We see Jesus grieve Lazarus, um, Mary, Martha, Job, David, all powerful stories of grief, always God's presence. Back to Acts 1. The disciples then go back to uh, the upper room where they had been staying to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised and pick a successor to Judas. I think it's really significant that um, before any major organizational decision is made, we read that all of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And beyond this, this wasn't just before the decision was made, but just... Um, a way of life and being and reacting to ambiguous grief, an uncertain future, and something that they didn't know about but were promised on the horizon. I also think it's really significant that when they're trying to pick, uh, pick the next 12th disciple, the qualification is... Um, Heart and authenticity, not skill and worthiness. This is a repeated theme, but gosh, I kind of need to hear it every time. They gather in prayer and they look for someone with heart and authenticity. All right, looking ahead at Acts 2. So uh, the day of Pentecost was a known thing. This was a huge festival. Jerusalem would have been crowded with religious pilgrims. And here's what that holiday was about. 
50 days after Passover. When God's people were enslaved in Egypt, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, and God sent a spirit to kill the firstborns of the Egyptians, told the Hebrew people to mark their doors with the blood of a lamb so that they would be passed over and safe. You can read about this in Exodus 12, and the people are commanded to remember this. So Passover, and then 50 days later is the festival of the harvest, the weeks. Um, this offering to God, the first fruits of the harvest in gratitude for the ways that God has delivered them and kept them safe. Pentecost is called the birth of the church, but it's in continuity with themes from Jewish tradition and the shared history of God's people. Uh, Here are two of those themes, God's liberating power, God being more powerful than earthly political powers, delivering us and charging us to remember that and repeat that um, in our prayers, in our readings, but also in our liturgical time. And two, that our response to that is an offering back to God. The first fruits, uh, we still do that. A Bible verse you might have heard us use in a Sunday service at Holy Trinity, particularly in stewardship season, is this one from Chronicles. All things come of thee, O all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. First fruits, the harvest, God's delivering work. All right, so everyone's together in Jerusalem for this festival, and there's a mighty rush of wind, fire everyone's speaking in different languages and still understanding each other. Everyone's talking about God's acts of power. So Peter has to say, we're not drunk, it's 9 a.m. I don't know that we really open the Bible expecting that, but I'm really glad for it. So he speaks to what it means that they're seeing the Holy Spirit. Connecting this to the prophecy of Joel in chapter 2. This is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to guide them until the last days, until Jesus comes again. He also preaches that Jesus is the one that the prophets said would come to save them. And he quotes some beautiful Psalms from David. This serves two purposes. One, a link to David, the traditional author of these Psalms. Prophets said the Messiah would come from his line, so Peter is making this link clear. Also, the author of Acts wants to emphasize that this is the middle of the story for believers. The religious landscape of the Roman Empire always had some new mystery cult or fresh deity or fad going on. So the author of Acts is saying, we are a faith of deep roots and meaningful history. Two, it's good news and it's really beautiful. Peter is saying, God said he would send the Messiah to break the power of death over us. Continuing and looking at the psalm, that our flesh will live in hope. That God is always with you and beside you. So hearing all this, the people ask, how then, how then shall we live? Brothers, what should we do? And here's the answer they hear. Repent, be baptized, your sins are forgiven, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The baptism liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer draws from this passage 
to um, shape a vision of what it means to be in the body of Christ. Um, you hear echoes of this passage in the renunciations and the baptismal covenant. Your sins are forgiven. You'll receive power. You'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The last few verses are, men- are, um, are part of that liturgy too because they're a really beautiful vision of Christian life. It's not about shame or guilt like so many people imagine, but it's about seeing signs of God's power, following in the teaching, breaking of bread and the prayers, organizing the way they live together for justice and to respond to the people's needs against oppression. So here are a few of the ways that we are continuing in Holy Spirit life, even while physical distancing. Continuing in relational mission, volunteers are expanding Holy Trinity's mobile food bank at King's Trailer Park uh, to help families who can't pick up meals at Opelika High School. We're continuing in fellowship and in prayer. Join in for small group on Wednesday. Caroline has challenged us to read Psalm 91 every day of this. We are praying for each other and our community. On Thursdays, Abby Poole, who studies social work, and I are facilitating a pastoral care and peer support call. We do this every other Thursday, and we are talking about ways, talking about how we are coping and where we see God's presence. Another way to be continuing in prayer is to check Holy Trinity's Facebook page. Um, you'll see a letter from the chaplains at East Alabama Medical Center about how to pray for everyone who is sick, suffering, and all of those who are taking care of them. Keep up to date in our group me and follow us on Instagram at Episcopal Student Ministries. Does every podcast in that way? Okay, I get it now. Anyway, here are a few questions to reflect on as we look forward to gathering uh, Wednesdays at 2.30 on Zoom or email me if that's better for you. My email is gail at holytrinitychurch.info. When we've gathered in person, we use a methodology called dwelling in the word. I've adapted some of those questions. What questions do you have about the text? This could be about comprehension or history, anything to help you get situated or... um, What do you need to understand to be able to focus on it? What words or phrases stand out to you? What surprises you? What do you find yourself reacting to? What questions do you see in the text? What connections do you see with your life and experience of the world and faith? What challenges you? How do you experience the Holy Spirit? How does, um, how does all of this sound? Have you had a time in your life where you've felt, yes, this is a Holy Spirit thing? What promises, what good news stand out to you in these passages? All right. Thank you.
Looking forward to talking more about this.